0: Welcome, coaches. This is Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for the dudes on the defensive line. And this is episode number 112. Thank you for giving us a listen today. Uh, What is the day after the 4th of July? I hope that all you guys enjoyed your weekend of celebrating this wonderful country of ours. Whether you were shooting off fireworks, you were manning the grill, hanging out at the lake, hanging out around the pool. Maybe you're out on the golf course or just spending time with friends and family. Hope your weekend was great and that you have all 10 fingers today and that you were uh, didn't get too crazy with the with the, uh, with the the Black Cats and the Roman Candles. Anyway, thank you for bringing us along with you today, wherever you're listening. Well, in light of yesterday being our nation's Independence Day, I can't think of a better guest to have on than today's guest and former Arkansas Razorback, New England Patriot, and Army Ranger, Jake Beckett. I am so excited for you to hear my conversation with Jake today. And as we talk about lessons in leadership and things that he uh, gleaned from his life as both a a football player and also a member of our armed forces. But before we hear from Jake, I need to take a moment and tell you about our sponsors who we are proud to be partnering with for season three of KYPD. First up, coaches, we are about a month away from high school football starting here in Texas, and I know many other states across the country. And if you're like me, you're spending a lot of time, you know, Uh, listening to coaches on podcasts, or maybe you're watching clinics online, doing everything that you can to increase your knowledge of of coaching your side of the ball, your position group, maybe even the other side of the ball, which is all good. But one thing you should really go and check out is our friends at Our Coaching Network. Our Coaching Network is a new football coaching platform that connects coaches from all levels and helps them get better every week. Our coaching network has live clinics going off three to four nights a week. And we'll have 150 plus hours of high quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be referred back to at any time in the future. This week on our coaching network, there's clinics going off on Monday, Tuesday and Thursday nights covering DB play on Monday night, wide receiver play on Tuesday night and attacking protections with a bear front on Thursday night. So there's something for everyone on the network this week. So get on over there today. Create your account. It's very affordable and you can cancel at any time. Level up on your football knowledge and connect with some outstanding coaches from across the country, our coaching network. Next up, coaches, I talk a lot about it on this podcast, but if you're not promoting your athletes on social media, you've got to get with the program. And maybe you're a coach who has zero interest in doing that because you think it's too difficult and you don't have a creative moment in your body. Well, you are in luck. Our guys at Go Ahead at Graphics have got you covered. Go Ahead Graphics allows any coach, yes, coach who still hasn't bought into the forward pass and still wears double-button bike shorts to practice, even you. It allows any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, the text, and the images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. The platform is easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. So if you're looking for a way to promote the awesome things going on in your athletic program and the team at Graphics has got you covered. Subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Here's something else that's cool. Mention keep your pads down or receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. You can check them out on Twitter at GoEditGraphics or visit their website through the link in today's show notes to see examples of the awesome graphics that coaches have already created. Showcase your athletes with custom graphics in minutes with GoEditGraphics. Okay, so back to today's show with Luke. Now, for our listeners who are Razorback fans, which we have a bunch of them in, in this area of Texas, Northeast Texas. Uh, we're, we're very, very close to the Arkansas border. A lot of Razorback fans in this area. Jake needs needs no introduction. Uh, he grew up in Little Rock where he started Little Rock Catholic. We're heading on to Fayetteville where he started defensive end for the Hogs. He started 42 of 48 games for the Razorbacks, recording 140 tackles and 23 and a half sacks. As a senior, he was a first-team All-SEC selection and was named the defensive MVP of the 2012 Cotton Bowl, helping the 2011 Arkansas Razorback football team defeat Kansas State 29-16 to as the Razorbacks finished the 2011 season with a record of 11-2 and a number 5 final ranking in all polls. Jake was selected in the third round by the New England Patriots in the 2012 NFL Draft. He remained with the Patriots for three seasons where he owned a Super Bowl ring as a member of the 2014 team. Jake retired from the NFL before the 2015 season and then attended law school at Georgetown University before joining the United States Army, where he served as a first lieutenant in the 101st Airborne Division as an Army Ranger in Iraq. Most recently, Jake has launched a relief fund designed to impact small businesses in his home state of Arkansas called the Arkansas Fund, which seeks to raise money for struggling businesses throughout the state who are affected by the COVID-19 shutdown this past year. Now, for our episode today, Jake and I, you know, we, we could have talked straight defensive line play the whole time. Uh, as you're going to see, that fire still burns pretty hot for the former defensive end. But although we do touch on some of that at the end of our conversation, we spend the majority of our time today discussing some of the lessons in leadership Jake picked up from playing for Bill Belichick and being teammates with Tom Brady, uh, his experiences in the Army, and things he's picked up from one of his favorite high school coaches there at Little Rock Catholic. So, you know, whether you're a football coach or not, there is something for you in today's episode with Jake. So let's dive in. Here is Jake Beckett on episode number 112 of Keep Your Pads Down. Okay, Jake. Well, you started in the SEC. You have a Super Bowl ring. You you've uh, been to law school. You served honorably as an Army Ranger in our country's military, and now most recently, you you started uh, your own nonprofit. But now we can add guest on a football coaching podcast to that impressive list of achievements. So, thank you so much for joining us today. It really is an honor.
1: No, Ty. Thanks for having me. I think we should list this first. You know, I think this is the <laughs> most this is most important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. And I don't know if anybody listening to this is going to buy that, but Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I, you know, there's a lot of directions that we can uh, take here with this conversation. There's so much that that we can talk about, but I would get in trouble uh, with a lot of my, my, my Arkansas friends, you know, here we are in, in Texarkana are right uh, as Northeast Texas, as you can get right there. I'm at my house. I'm sitting a mile from the Arkansas border, a lot of Razorback fans. So I know a lot of them will be excited to hear from you today. So let's let's start off by talking some football. Um, we, we usually begin our discussions by just talking to our guests about their, their journey through the game of football. Your Yours is very interesting, so tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, as, uh, as you may know and some of your listeners may know, I come from a bit of a football family. Um, my grandfather, dad, and uncle all played football at the University of Arkansas. My grandpa played back in the 1950s. Uh, that was before uh, they wore face masks, <laughs> as you would tell you. Um, but uh, yeah, he played in the 1950s under Coach Bowden Wyatt. He was part of the 25 Little Pigs team back in 1954 that won the Old Southwest Conference championship. Um, you know that was a big, uh, a big season for the for the program and really kind of launched uh, Arkansas into the uh, you know the really really solid era of you know Coach Wyatt and into the Burles era. Uh, my dad played under Coach Lou Holtz from 79 to 82, was part of some really good teams. Then my uncle played for uh, Coach Holtz and Coach Hatfield uh, in the mid-80s. And I was very blessed and fortunate to be able to follow in their footsteps and play for the Hawks from 07 to 2011. The 2012 Cotton Bowl was my last game. And it was just, a, just an absolute honor to be a part of that team and part of a program that you know really struggled my first couple of years with the coaching change from Coach Nutt to Coach Petrino. But then that, you know, those two classes in 07, 08, we really bonded together and uh, really were able to grow and develop and ended up putting two really good seasons together back in 2010 and 2011, Um, you know, went to the Sugar Bowl in 2010 and finished number five in the country in 2011, 2012. So uh, it was just a really, just a true honor to play up there and to, you know, continue the the family tradition, I guess. And, you know, we're just, uh, I bleed razorback red.
0: What was your recruiting process like? Was it was it one of those things where you always knew it was a foregone conclusion that you were going to Arkansas no matter what? Did you entertain other schools? Uh, what was that like?
1: Well, I knew that from the very beginning um, that I wanted to be a Razorback. I grew up calling the Hogs. Obviously, with my family legacy, uh, I would have been disowned if I choose, chose anywhere else. But the the real question was, you know, whether I'm not whether or not I would get an offer from Arkansas. I was not a very highly recruited prospect. Um, you know, but late in my junior year, I started to get some, some offers, some other uh, SEC offers, uh, and then Arkansas pulled the trigger and offered me, uh, in the spring of my junior year, um, in high school. And, you know, I, I tell the story, I mean, coach Nutt offered me the scholarship there at the junior day. And I mean, before he even got the words out of his mouth, I accepted. And, you know, he, he kind of laughed and said, Hey Jake, this is a big decision. Go ahead and take 24 hours and, and get back to me and i said all right coach it's you know 3:05 p.m. whatever time it was at 3:05 p.m. tomorrow i'm going to give you a call and commit and, and he was like okay and you know sure enough the next day i called and said hey coach i want to be a Razorback. back and you know that was a that was just a a huge uh, goal to accomplish. And, um you know I was just very blessed to have that opportunity
0: yeah and and to do it in in the state of arkansas where you're from you know going to school there uh, at at harding like i did i didn't i guess i was a little bit ignorant to the, the passion that the the people of Arkansas have for the Razorbacks. It is unique in the fact that there is no other uh, FCS, I'm sorry, FBS school there in the state. You know, there's no, you know, Alabama has uh, obviously Alabama and Auburn uh, Georgia has Georgia and Georgia tech and you know, Mississippi has Mississippi, Mississippi state. And of course, Texas, we have, you know, four or five uh, of, of those types of schools. And so the allegiances are are divided, but that's not the case in Arkansas. Uh, when you cross that line, it's Razorback red from Texarkana on up into uh, into Springdale and and Fayetteville, which is is something that I think has has got to be cool when you're part of that team that means so much to the people in the state where you grew up.
1: Yeah, it really is. You know, Arkansas is a special place, and you know the the Razorback football program just has a such a, such a place in our in our state's culture in our state's history. And you know, I was reading a, a really good. Uh, history of the Razorback football program recently uh, written by Orville Henry, who's just this legendary sports writer. And, you know, he wrote in the introduction that, um, you know, in Arkansas, when Arkansas plays football games, the honor of the state is at stake. And I, I, just, I love the way he put that. And I think it's, it's very true. I mean, the entire state uh, rallies around the football program and just the, the morale of the state is up when the team's good and the morale of the state can get down when the team's not very good. Um, but it was, you know, when you and, and I realized that. And I like to tell people and I was actually having this discussion with Coach Coach Houston Nutt a few months ago. It's that I think that when you what 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 football coaches at Arkansas need to remember when they're recruiting is that, you know, it's important to have in state players on your team because, you know, I, I saw it firsthand and I lived it personally. You know, when you have when you have Arkansas guys on the football team in that locker room, you know, they they realize what they're playing for. And, you know, just because for that reason, because they grew up calling the hogs, because they know what the, the Razorback football program means to the state, you know, they're going to raise their level of play. And even, even just as importantly, they're going to raise the level of play of their teammates of the guys around them. And so I, I think we saw that um, exemplified in during my career, there's that we had a, a couple of really strong recruiting classes back to back of in-state players um, you know, guys like Jerry Franklin, Grant Cook, Joe Adams, Jarius Wright, DJ Williams, you know, tons of the list goes on. And uh, I, I think there's a there's a direct correlation between, you know, uh, back football teams that are successful uh, and the number of, you know, in-state players that are on those teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. And I think that the same could be said for you know a lot of states. When you see these these schools that are used to being successful, when they stop being successful, it it a lot of it can be can be Pointed to the fact that they're losing their top players in state, and when you have a state like Arkansas that is smaller and there's not just a ton of top flight guys, uh, it's really important for the for for the University of Arkansas in order to be successful to really build a fence around the state and not let the neighboring states come in and get those guys out. Which you know you see has ha- happens when when you know when Arkansas does have some rough years that 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 typically is is, is a big cause of it.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you've got to you've got to build that fence, as they say. And um, you know, historically we've done a pretty good job of that. You know, we there have been some exceptions. Um, but you know, you're exactly right. When when you have those in-state players that um, you know, are are you know have a, a big national profile in recruiting, you gotta get those guys up to Fayetteville.
0: No doubt. Okay, so from 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 Arkansas, you were drafted in the third round by the Patriots. Talk about that um and what that experience was like for you.
1: Well, that was just uh it, it was a, a privilege to be able to play for coach Belichick, the greatest football coach of all time, in my opinion, and just to be a teammate with guys like Tom Brady, Rod Gronkowski, Vince Wilfork. I mean, guys who were some of the most legendary players uh, in the history of our game. Um, you know, it was just, it was amazing to get that phone call. I was, I was at home with my parents right here in Little Rock, Arkansas, when I got drafted uh, on on day two of the draft in the third round. And, um, you know, just you can be drafted by any team and, and right. You know, you it's it's a it's a blessing to play in the NFL for any team, but particularly for a, a franchise, a dynasty like the New England Patriots. And, you know, they were they were coming off of a, a Super Bowl loss the, the year before back in 2011. Um, and so the, the team really had there's a chip on our shoulder that year. And but we got right to work. I mean, you it doesn't take long once you you know walk in those doors, at Patriot place in, in Gillette Stadium that you realize there's a strong, there's a strong team culture and there's just a, uh, you know, just that coach Belichick like to say, Hey, the the train's moving, either get on or you get run over or get left behind. Um, and so you, you make the decision to get on that train quickly or you get left behind.
0: Absolutely. We're definitely going to talk about, you know, what it was like playing for coach Belichick and, and being a teammate of Tom Brady's and some of those other guys, but I'm just curious. So leading up to the draft was, uh, had you had conversations with with any teams in particular? W- were, were you did you kind of have an idea where you might land? What was that that whole process like for the vast majority of us who never did or, or never will experience that?
1: Yeah, the, the pre-draft process is really interesting, and you know you you hear tons of different rumors coming from every direction. You know, your agent tries to stay plugged in, but at the end of the day, you really have no idea. I mean, I, I knew the Patriots liked me; um, their director of player pro their director of pro personnel uh, came and worked me out privately in Fayetteville a few weeks before the draft. Um, And so I knew they were interested. There were a few other teams that were interested. Um, My agent told me, I I, I knew I wasn't going to be a first round draft pick, but he told me that there was a chance I could be drafted uh, in the third round or the early fourth round. I found out later that the the Minnesota Vikings uh, were going to pick me, I think at like pick 100, uh, which is the early fourth round. Um, And so the Patriots, found that out somehow and they kind of knew it was now or never to pick me at pick 90. And and that's what happened. But you know, it was just a huge relief. I mean, I, I wasn't, I had my expectations, uh, you know, in a, in a pretty reasonable position, you know, I, I was, I wanted to get drafted, but I realized that, you know, you're, you, you have to prove yourself no matter where you get selected. And so I was just ready to go to work. And, you know, when I got that phone call from Mr. Kraft and coach Belichick, I mean, that was just a dream come true. Oh,
0: I, I I can imagine. Uh, Well, today, what we're going to focus on is just some of the lessons you've learned uh, when it comes to leadership. And we haven't even uh, really got into your military career yet or anything like that. And we're going to talk about that later on in our conversation. But first, just just talk to us a little bit about uh, some people and and some experiences that have helped mold and shape your skills as a leader, um, you know, along this process of playing football and, and being in the military and that sort of thing
1: yeah, I think there's a, uh, you know, there's a strong correlation between, uh, you know, the game of football, the lessons you learned there, uh, things you mentioned in terms of hard work, teamwork, leadership, and, and also in the military. Uh, you know, there's a, I, I guess it's, I'm kind of a student of, of football history and, you know, of course, uh, General Nealand was the longtime coach over at Tennessee. They named the stadium after him. So obviously there's some crossover there between, between military and football coach Belichick actually has a, a very strong uh, respect for the military. His dad coached at the Naval Academy uh, Bill was a young man, and so he he grew up around Annapolis, and uh, he would always bring in uh, you know current and former military members to come speak to the Patriots, and I was there. Um, so yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot of crossover there between those two lessons, and I think a, a football life was a great preparation for a military life. But yeah, just to you know, when I think about my career at, at Arkansas and in New England. Um, you know, it was – I played for two coaches, uh, Petrino and Belichick, who were, you know, really, really hard-charging, demanding football coaches. And I know there's, there's more than one way to do it, but, uh, you know, that style is really all that I know, um, and it was very successful. Um, you know, both those guys, but in particular Coach Belichick, I mean, he was able to uh, institute a really strong organizational culture, um, you know, that, that really required – the the team from top to bottom to really buy in. And I think that's been a competitive advantage of the Patriots uh, for for Coach Belichick's tenure because if you think about it, he's he's really one of the last coaches who's able to do that because he's got the credibility of all of his Super Bowl championships and all of his great teams to institute such a strong team culture without having the, you know, without kind of losing the locker room, which you know can happen a lot in the NFL because it's a player-driven league. Uh, you know, the players have a lot of leverage, but uh, coach Belichick was able to really push the team extremely hard. Um, I, I, I recognized that when, you know, we had other guys come in from other teams, you know, long-term veterans, you know, name, guys whose names you would definitely recognize would come into New England, you know, on a, you know, kind of a later career uh, veteran deal. And, you know, after truly like four or five practices in their tr- first training camp in New England, they would go into Bill's office and just and quit the team and just say, hey, coach, I'm going to go ahead and retire um you know this isn't for me you know I, I spent too many years playing somewhere else you're you know you're you're this this kind of culture is just you know i'm not used to it and i'm just gonna go ahead and retire i mean that happened multiple times um and that's not to cast aspersions on those guys i'm just using those as examples to show how tough um you know the the, the team culture was and how demanding it was uh, but that obviously produced results and i, I think um you know the the players, the leaders on that team uh, in New England, deserve a lot of credit too because you know they they totally bought into Coach Belichick's system and set the tone for the rest of the locker room. I mean, Tom Brady, Matthew Slater, guys like Gerard Mayo, Vince Wilfork. I mean, it wasn't you know it wasn't always you know smiles and laughs every single day, but you know guys bought into the the culture that that Coach Belichick had instilled, and they made sure that the young guys, the new guys, guys who came in in free agency or trades or whatever. They realize that hey the train's moving this is how we do it here in New England this is how you win Super Bowls and if you want to be on this team you're gonna you're gonna buy in and accept it and so that that's kind of like my explanation for the Patriots success um, is that you get this really strong uh, organizational culture this the, the tempo is set by coach Belichick at the very top but you've got player buy-in from the top from the top of the roster down to the last guy in the roster
0: so what would it look like specifically? you know, within that organization, like what was it that, that coach Belichick did and the, the assistant coaches did the, the leaders on the team did that set them apart. So like, if I, if we, if we could go back to 2012 uh, or 2013, whenever, whenever you're with those guys and, and I was just to go on a tour with you through the, through the team facility, through maybe a practice, some team meetings, like what, what would be some things that I would notice and go, okay, yeah, that's, that's different. That's why these guys are so successful.
1: Well, I think you'd notice um, a team culture where guys were always doing extra work. I mean, that was that was one of the first things I noticed was how early everyone got into the uh, team facility in the mornings and how late everyone stayed. Um, you know, you see guys breaking down film, you know, well before our first team meeting at 7 a.m. every morning. Um, and you see guys, you know, doing extra stuff before and after practice. Um, I mean, not, it's, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty hard as you know, the, the last guy on the roster, is someone like me, to to walk off the practice field right after you know the team breaks it down when you've got Tom Brady and Vince Wilfork and you know Gerard Mayo, Edelman, Slater, Gronk, when they're all out there doing extra work, running extra routes, you know, doing extra one on ones, you know, doing extra coverage drills, uh, you know, running extra hill sprints. You know, like, and what, what is the guy like me? Is he, am I just gonna walk off the field and you know, go into the locker room? No, like, I'm gonna stay out there and do. Uh, as much or more as those guys, because I'm trying to get where they are. Um, so you, you you'd notice things like that. Um, you know, the, the, the Patriots, I always loved how, how, how coach Belichick and the staff, you know, they, they put up just, they had a really cool, um, you know, idea to put up photos um, from all of our, from all the wins, um, you know, of the current season. And it was, it was never an individual player. It was always, uh, you know, groups of players, you know, either celebrating or, you know, on for if it was featuring defensive guys, it'd be a big gang tackle, you know, or a sack. It was always, you know, a team-oriented motif, um, and just you know, kind of motivational quotes all over the place, not just from football guys, but from you know, military leaders, and I mean, just a really like it's just it, you when you walk in there into Patriot Place, like you, you realize there's something special going on.
0: Yeah, it just seems to me like if I were to walk in there, I might, um, you know, make sure uh, my shirt's tucked in and 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 you know that that I'm, you know, almost like, <laughs> and this is uh, maybe a, a silly example, but whenever I my granddad is, uh, he's 97 years old, just turned 97, uh, he's a retired Marine general, and whenever I get ready to walk in his house, to this day when I go see him now, he's at, a, at an assisted living facility, but it's like I take my hat off and like I'm I'm, I'm making sure like my hair is presentable and and my kids, you know, they don't have stuff all their face. Like you just sort of, you just know, you realize that you're entering into something that, uh, that is, is, you know, you're super respectful and, and it's a, there's just a lot of, a lot of pride and, and, and respect. And, and and so I think, I feel like that's what it would be like going in there, you know, that it would be very business-like and professional-like.
1: Well, you're, you're exactly right. I'll never forget my first team meeting, you know, with the entire team. There's just kind of a, a period for rookies who were newly drafted, newly signed uh, for a couple of weeks in April at the end of the draft. But then there's kind of a full team period in in late April, early May. And this first team meeting, I'll never forget. So Tom Brady, you know, he's sitting there front row center. And, you know, I guess a player of his stature could sit anywhere uh, in the team meeting room. But, of course, he decides to sit front row center where literally everyone else on the team could see him. And, you know, this was just kind of a – this was an April, early May team meeting. You know, right before you know the beginning of voluntary mini camp, um, and Coach Belichick was just kind of giving his expectations for the year, and he was kind of recapping what happened the last season, and kind of talking about what was the next few weeks and months were going to look like. And you know, I kept looking down over at Tom, and he's just scribbling furiously into his notebook, and he's just trying—he's taking down everything Coach Belichick is saying. You know, he's he's hanging on every word. He's obviously very engaged in what's happening. And it might seem like a little thing, but. That's something that I noticed and I'm sure everyone else noticed, especially the rookies and new guys. It's like, Hey, if, if Tom Brady is sitting front row center is the greatest quarterback of all time, even at that time in 2012, if he's sitting there and he's so engaged in this just random team meeting, like I better be exponentially more engaged. You know, I better, I better take every single meeting, every single practice, every single weight weight workout, uh, you know, as seriously as Tom is taking this meeting else I'm not gonna last year. And so I think that's just one little example of, you know, kind of the patriot way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had someone tell me actually this was did had had nothing to do with footballs. It was it was with parenting, uh when when my wife and I had kids or started having kids and uh someone told me you he said, hey, you know, when it comes to raising kids, they won't be what they don't see. And so now I use that all the time with my kids, especially those guys who are trying to be leaders is that, you know, if you want, if you want people to follow you then then you have to demand of yourself the same thing is the same things that you're demanding of the people that you want to follow you and so I think that's a great example of that so talking about Tom Brady specifically let's think about this last year uh were you as surprised as everyone else watching him in the run that that he and the Bucks went on was that a shock to you or is it kind of like yeah I could I can see that happening
1: oh it, it wasn't surprising to me at all I mean he's he's in the best shape of his life you know even at this age you know he has no intention of slowing down and you know, just from what I observed in my, you know, four years there in New England, like, you know, he, he's he's more than capable of playing for an extended period of time. I remember asking him, this was in 2012, my rookie year. You know, even then I asked him, he's so, like, hey, you know, Tommy, how long do you want to play? And he would just kind of laugh and just say, hey, hey, Jake, I'm, I'm just getting started. I'm, I'm just getting warmed up. You know, and that was you know, that was nine years ago. So, you know, if he, he continues to take care of his body, you know, keep improving his mechanics and diet and nutrition, Uh, you know, weight training. And, you know, as long as he stays healthy, there's no reason why he can't do it, but just to see him go down there in Tampa Bay, like, that's exactly what I'm talking about the difference that he makes. I mean, there was a night and day difference in that football team, you know, from the time before he joined it to to afterwards. Um, And I I think it's just because of some of those things that I mentioned, like his, his presence and his intensity um, and his, you know, what he demands of himself, he's the rising tide that lifts all boats uh, in a locker room and, you know, guys, guys, they see him and, you know, they, they look over there and you're just kind of thinking to yourself like, man, that's Tom Brady. Like I better not, you know, I better run this route really crisply because Tom Brady's throwing it to me. You know, I, I better, you know, I better be hundred percent of my assignments because, you know, if, if I run the wrong route or, you know, make the wrong adjustment, then I'm going to hear about it in the huddle. And that's, you know, he would, he would do stuff like that. I mean, he would call guys out. So, you know, he's just a, he's a great leader. He leads by example. Um, he's one of the hardest working guys I've ever been around. And it was no surprise to see the success he had last year in Tampa.
0: Yeah. And as much as we want to try to find, um, you know, maybe like a really convenient neat, and, and um, I don't know, uh sexier answer as to why Tom Brady has been so successful and why organizations like the Patriots have been so successful it really is is because of those things that you mentioned. You know, every, guys looking to do extra work, um, guys just just being relentless in their pursuit of perfecting their craft, and and it's not always fun. A lot of times it isn't fun. Um, it's it is mundane. It is monotonous. But therein lies the path to greatness. Doing those things over and over again, and bringing others with you along the way.
1: Yeah, you you gotta you gotta love the process. You gotta embrace it. I mean, you've gotta you have know, got to be passionate about what you're doing and, you know, you've got to believe in what you're doing. And, and because if, if you don't, then you're going to burn out. I mean, it's just, it's too hard to, to to make it to that level and it's too hard to do you know what you do in the game of football day in and day out. Uh, if you're trying to be the best, if you don't love what you're doing. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's one thing that, you know, I, I've always tried to, um, you know, remind myself during some of the tougher times, whether in sports or the military, it's like, you know, Hey, I, I wouldn't rather be doing any, anything else. And it's, Sometimes it's hard to convince yourself, you know, it's a you know hundred degree day and you got a two-a-day practice and you're midway through the first workout and it's you know, you're just you're you're smoked. But you know, at the end of the day, you you have to love what you're doing and you know, you've got to just you've got to love the process of constant self-improvement. Um, and that's why, you know, it's one of the reasons that you know
0: football is such a great game, is because you just gotta constantly improve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like all of us, your your football career came to an end and uh, talk to us a little bit about what you decided to do once your time with the Patriots was over.
1: Yeah, so when I was in New England, um, you know, my last couple of years there, I, I started to, to feel a real calling to, to serve in the military. There was, a, there was a guy who came in and worked with the team. He was a, a former Navy SEAL, a, a SEAL Team 6 guy. His name's Don Morazzo. And Don was a childhood friend of um, the Patriots defensive coordinator at the time, Matt Patricia. And so Don would come in, you know, usually in the off seasons to, to work with us. Um, you know, he would do kind of like some hand to hand training, um, you know, based on his you know, kind of military uh, combatist training, just to kind of help the offensive and defensive linemen and linebackers with you know kind of leverage and hand to hand skills. Um, but mostly like, I, I think the, the purpose of Don being there was just to impart some of his wisdom uh, in terms of leadership and uh, you know, stuff he's gleaned from his military experience and, I, I always found myself just talking to Dom about what he had done in the Seals. And, um, you know, that, I think that was, that was a big influence on me. And I, I just realized like, Hey, you know, whenever my football career is over, you know, whenever the season of my, of my life is over um, you know, I, I want military service to be part of my story. Um, and so in 2015, I, I got hurt. I had some injuries and um, you know, I, I had the chance to, to work out and try to make a couple of other teams, but, um, you know, I really decided to turn the page there in, in late 2015 after I got put on IR by the Patriots, um, and you know, I decided to to get healthy. Um, and I had to have a few surgeries to you know get to a, a position where you know, I could have a military career. Um, but you know, once I once I kind of made that decision to go serve, um, it was all systems go uh, with the same intensity that I approached my
0: football career. And so then talk about you know what that's like. Um, you know, joining the Army there and, and all of that training that, that I, I got to imagine you feel like maybe um, starting over as a freshman in high school or freshman in college again, where uh, you're sort of anonymous, you know, what you've done in the past has, it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, you're now just another guy um, trying to make it through, you know, try, trying to make it through training. So just talk about what that training was like and uh, maybe some things that you picked up along the way, as far as lessons in leadership are concerned.
1: Yeah, looking back, I was I'm really proud of the mentality that I had because you know it was definitely a humbling experience. You know, going from being an NFL player and you know a law student to you know kind of living on my own and doing my own thing, uh, you know, to to a military life and you know going into basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia, you know, in a big bay bunking up with you know 45, 50 other guys. Um, in retrospect, that might have seemed difficult, but really I, I was just I was all in mentally um, into serving. And so I just kind of made the decision that, you know, hey, whatever happens along this road, I'm going to embrace it. I'm just going to take it one day at a time. Um, and that's something that I learned in my football career. And so I think that's one of those things, one of those examples of you know, how my, my preparation and my football career really helped me in the military. Um, but yeah, I, I went into basic training at, at Fort Benning, Georgia and in the summer of 2017. Graduated basic, went into officer candidate school, I entered the military on an officer candidate school contract. Um, and I commissioned as a lieutenant in early 2018, went through the Tree officers course, uh, still there at Fort Benning uh, throughout most of 2018. And then I volunteered for Ranger School, uh, which takes place in in three locations across the Southeast at Fort Benning, Georgia and Dahlonega, Georgia, uh, up in the Smoky Mountains, and then down in uh, the swamps of Florida and uh, the Florida Panhandle. Um, and so that was, that was quite an experience, but I graduated Ranger School in uh, late October, 2018. And uh, that was, uh, you know, that was my, that was my military training.
0: What can, and, and maybe there's not a lot that you can tell us, but what, what can you tell us about the training that is required for ranger school? Ranger school was the toughest thing I've ever done mentally and physically. Um, you know, it was, uh, it's a 62
1: day course. If you go straight through, which I was uh, very blessed to do, you don't want to stay there any longer than two months. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's an absolute gut check because, um, you know, you've got to pass a series of, uh, you know, physical tests in the very beginning uh, in the, the ranger assessment phase, wrap week, um, you know, which is a, a, you know, a huge cause of attrition in the class. Um, you know, we, we started with, I think, 360 uh, ranger students on day one, and I graduated with, I believe, 82 or I think there were 82 of that original 360 who who went straight through with me. Um but it's really it's 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 a mental grind as well because not only are you, you know, going through the tactical training um of all three of the phases um but you're really being challenged uh you know from a mental and emotional perspective as well because you know part of the training is is food and sleep deprivation, you know when you're on the missions you're getting um you know Sometimes as little as one to two meals a day, little MREs, which, you know, for a guy who's 245 pounds, who not, and not in the too distant past was about 275 pounds. Uh, that was a real challenge. I went into ranger school, weighed about 240 pounds, and I came out just under 200. Uh, so that was a shock. My parents, uh, when they saw me on graduation day, they were just, <laughs> they were pretty shocked at my appearance. Um, but you know, also you're, you're not sleeping very much either, you know, on on some of the nights you might get as little as 30 to 45 minutes of sleep, um, which, you know, over the course of two months, uh, you know, can, can be a real challenge mentally. So really the, you know, the, the, the army says that, you know, Ranger school is the U S army's premier leadership school. And it really is because, you know, you've got to, um, you know, you've got to prove yourself not just as a tactician, but as a leader of soldiers, uh, under some of the toughest conditions um, you know, the army has to offer in training, uh, because that's what's important is you you want to you want to make training as unpleasant as possible, um, you know. So the real deal, so combat situations, um, you know, you're uh, you're used to being challenged physically, mentally, and emotionally.
0: What do you think uh, was key for you as far as making it through that week? Well, I think it
1: kind of goes back to that mentality that I had when I first entered the military. I told myself before I went to ranger school, it was kind of, you know, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I, love history and, you know, the, the famous, the famous, uh, you know, phrase that the the Spartan women would say to their husband before they went off to war was come back with your shield or on it. You know, you either, either come back victorious or you come back dead. And, you know, that was, that was the mentality. I mean, not to be too dramatic, that that's kind of how I approached ranger school. It was like, Hey, I'm, I'm either going to graduate and get my ranger tab or I'm going to die trying. And that was, that was, you know, cause once you, once you start, you know, letting that little voice in your head uh, start to, you know, convince you to quit. And then, you know, I saw it time and again, guys would just, you know, they, they would start to, to second guess themselves or, you know, start counting the days and start realizing like, you know, Hey, how am I going to make it two more months? You know, whatever it is, but you just, you just can't do that. You got to stay present. You got to be in the moment, and you just got to have that level of commitment that no matter what happens here, I'm not going to quit. I might get might get injured. I might die, but I'm not going to quit.
0: Well, obviously, you are you were, you know, and it used to being to putting yourself in in physically challenging situations. You know, being you know playing football, and and you had been a leader on on your teams that you had played played on previously. But what what about that military training or being in the military? Sort of. Uh, maybe expose some holes in your game when it came to being a leader um, and, and, you know, being mentally tough, kind of like what you're talking about.
1: Well, I I think that, that, you know, Ranger school in particular, but military training in general, it really challenges you um, in every phase of being a leader because that's, you know, when you're on those missions, it's, it's not just, especially during Ranger school, it's, it's not just, Hey, do I know tactically what to do? You know, can I navigate from point A to point B? You know, can I move stealthily? You know, can I approach the objective without being observed? You know, can I, um, you know, get into into the correct position to remain in communication with higher headquarters? Can I call an indirect fire? Can I maneuver my platoon or squad, um, you know, correctly? It's not just about the tactics; it's about hey, can I motivate and lead other soldiers who are just as tired, just as hungry? just as wet, just as cold, just as miserable as I am. And they're not being evaluated because the way Ranger school works is, you know, you're, you're really only evaluated, um, you know, when you're in leadership, you know, when, when you're, you know, kind of the guy who's up in the hot seat, the other times you're just a follower, you know, you're just a part of someone else's mission and you're still motivated. You still want to, you still want to do your best to help, you know, your comrades, um, you know, be successful in the course. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're you know, when 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 guys aren't being evaluated, there's that natural tendency as human beings just kind of let up. So you, you as a leader are challenged to convince these people following you that you are a a worthy leader, that you're someone who's worthy of being followed and worthy of, you know, you know, putting out for, you know, for lack of a better term. Like, hey, like, you know, this 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 Jake guy, you know, he's been really good. He really contributed on my mission. Um, you know, he's a guy who I wanna see, you know, be a ranger in the army. So I'm gonna I'm going to do right by him and I'm going to, I'm going to really help him out. So it's, it really challenges every, every phase of, of your leadership potential. Um, You know, not just tactically, but, but also um, just, just being a leader of men.
0: Well, we are, you know, at a point in our world and in our society where sound leadership is, is at a premium? So in your opinion, what does it take to be an effective leader in our world today?
1: we have got to be someone who, you know, is, is willing to lead from the front. You know, that's, that, that's something that is, uh, you know, common in the infantry, or at least in our, our terminology. You know, if you're going to be a platoon leader uh, in an infantry platoon, you know, you've got to lead from the front. You know, you've got to lead by example. You, you've got to do, you can't, you can't ask your soldiers, your subordinates, uh, your NCOs to do something that you aren't willing to do yourself. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm evaluating a leader or I'm evaluating myself, you know, I I just want to make sure that, you know, there's, there's no one who's going to be working harder than me. There's no one who's going to be putting in more hours. I'm never going to criticize someone or expect someone else to do something that I'm not willing to do, or I'm not going to be waiting around for the, you know, to, for someone else to stand up and do the right thing if I'm not doing the right thing. So really it's, it's that skin in the game concept that I always uh, try to evaluate, about myself and about other leaders is, you know, Hey, is this person just kind of virtue signaling? Is this person just, um, you know, just, just, just saying things without actually doing it, or does this person have true skin in the game? And, you know, he's holding himself to the standard that he's holding others to.
0: Yeah. you're, You're exactly right. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, you know, with, with, with Tom Brady and his willingness to, you know, sacrifice a lot of things in his own life in order to be successful. And then demanding that from, from the guys that he's playing with. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about football coaches now. When you think about some of your favorite football coaches that you have, you know, whether it's from you know high school on, on into the professional level, what characteristics did they possess that left such a profound impact on you?
1: Well, for me, it goes back. So I was uh, one of the early earliest coaches who made a big impact on me was, was Joe Klein, who was a high school basketball coach of mine. You know, Joe played in the NBA for a number of years. He played at Arkansas before that. And his son, Daniel, and I are the same age. Uh, and we went to high school together. And so Joe um, was kind of an assistant coach on our high school basketball team. Um, and, you know, he was – he was you know, Joe, obviously, we just had a legendary college and NBA career. He, he has a NBA championship ring with the Chicago Bulls. He was actually on that Last Dance documentary, um, if, you, if you caught that. Um, but, you know, Joe would – I mean, he really kind of took me under his wing. I was – you know, I was a, a postman on our on our high school basketball team, and you know, even though I wasn't I wasn't going to play basketball at the next level, um, and football was always my priority. Um, you know, Joe really challenged me to develop as a not just as a basketball player, but as a leader. And you know, I was my, my typical day in high school was you know pretty busy. I mean, I was you know having the um, the goal to to be a Division One college football player. You know, just for like during basketball season, for instance, I mean, I was up before dawn, you know, going to get a weight workout in uh, with the football team in the weight room before school. You know, I'd go to school. Uh, Little Rock Catholic High is a very demanding a- academic school. So I was taking school very seriously. You know, I'd try to get all my homework and studying done uh, during the study hall period during the day. And then I would go to basketball practice. And, you know, I would be just out of a long day at school, you know, kind of feeling tired from probably the weight workout in the morning, going to basketball practice. And, you know, who's waiting on me before practice even starts? It's Joe Klein. Is you know seven feet tall. He's this big, massive guy. He he'd be always waiting for me. I had to be the first guy out to practice because we did these these medicine ball these Mike and drills uh, before basketball practice with a medicine ball. Which you know if anyone's ever done that, it's uh, it's not very pleasant doing a bunch of basketball drills with a medicine ball, not a basketball, especially when you're trying to do so over a seven foot former NBA champion uh, who just relishes. It seems like uh, you know kind of smacking me down. But that kind of that experience really paid dividends because. You know, I was I was putting in the extra work where I I knew other guys in our conference weren't doing that. Um, You know, it it was and it really you know helped 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 me distinguish myself as a high school basketball player. And we ended up having some really good high school basketball teams. But you know, I would I would do the you know stuff before practice with Joe, during practice with Joe, after practice with Joe, and then I go home and get another weight workout in that night um, in this little kind of shed we had at my parents' house. Um, So that was just kind of a typical day for me when I was in high school and. I really hope that that kind of schedule can you know, kind of give your listeners a, um, you know, an idea of you know, what I was doing to, to really um, set myself apart from other high school athletes at the
0: time. Well, if you could speak to, to football coaches directly now, uh, what advice would you give them about leading their teams and, and having a similar impact on their players like Coach Klein did for you uh, in light of the, the, the challenges, you know, the specific challenges that we are facing today as a society?
1: you don't have to be an NBA champion to have the credibility to to push your players past what they think their limits are, and I think that's uh, you know that's one of the biggest blessings that I had from some of my coaches, uh, you know, from Joe Klein to Coach Petrino to Coach Belichick, is that you know they always they always had the 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 courage, really, the intellectual courage, I'd say, to to push their players past um, you know the 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 point of comfort the point of where they thought their limits were. And that's, that's not always easy to do, um, you know, because you, you know, I, I think especially today, a lot of, you know, a lot of coaches, they want to, um, you know, come alongside athletes and, um, you know, be a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit more uh, understanding. Okay. Or, I, I I don't want to say soft, but, um, you know, I, I just, in my experience personally, like what I what I and my teammates always responded to was um you know coaches who weren't afraid to push the limits and, and weren't afraid to challenge us to you know do things that no one else was doing. You know, my, my dad always taught me, and again, I was very blessed to grow up with a dad who had, you know, done what it took to to play division one football. And he he said something to me at a young age that 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 resonated then and still does now is that if you want to get better than someone else. You got to be willing to do what no one else is willing to do. If you're just doing what your teammates are doing in practice and the weight room, then you're only going to improve at the same rate that they are. So, I mean, relatively, you're not really improving. You're just getting you, you know, you're just improving on the same margins as everyone else. So, you know, whether it's in sports or in the military or in your profession, uh, in academics, whatever it is, like if you want to truly improve, you've got to do the things that no one else is willing to do. Um, And so that's, that's diet, that's nutrition, that's weight training, that's film study, you know, that's, you know, tinkering with, you know, concepts that might be innovative. Um, You know, a good example, so Tom Brady, for example, you know, Tom Brady, you know, people talk about the, you know, the vegan diet, you know, Tom Brady was doing that 10 years ago. I mean, he was bringing in his own, again, not everyone has the resources for a private vegan chef or whatever, but he was, you know, he, he would bring in his own containers of food to the Patriots facility because, you know, he was a believer in you know the vegan diet and he was, he, he wasn't afraid to experiment and, and try something new and, and do something that no one else was doing. Um, and, and so there's just, there's tons of examples, but I really think if you're, if you're a coach out there, you've got to have the, the intellectual courage to push your players, um, you know, to do things that no one else is going to do.
0: Did you ever try any of uh, Tom's avocado ice cream that we hear about or anything did you ever swipe any food off of his tray or no?
1: <laughs> no, no, he, uh, he wouldn't let me do that. Um, and I probably couldn't afford it. Um, <laughs> but now he, I just use that as an example. I mean, you know, he, the guy was, he was always willing to to tinker. Um, he was always tinkering with his mechanics. Uh, he was always tinking with his workout regimen, tinkering with his workout regimen. Uh, his workout regimen. Um, you know, he was, he was always looking for that next edge. And that's, that's something that
0: um, that is a lesson for all of us. All right, now I want, to, uh, I want you to get back into defensive end mode here for a second, okay? And let's go back to your days uh, when you were uh, dominating high school football in, in, the, in the state of Arkansas and then wrecking shop in the SEC. So when you were playing uh, defensive end, what did you enjoy more, playing the run or, or rushing the passer?
1: Well, every defensive end, I think, would would, would say that there's nothing like rushing the passer and that's, that's, always the, uh, that's always the most fun thing, just your years back and getting after the quarterback. And I always, I always kind of looked at rushing the passer as a, a privilege, like something you had to earn, and you earned that by stopping the run on first and second down. And so we always – that's something we would talk about in college and the pros is that, you know, you, you've got you've to get teams in the third and long, you know, where they've got to pass, um, and you do that by being, being stout on the run game on first and second down, you know, being opportunistic, you know, being ready to to get after it on, on first and second down too. But, um, you know, there really is nothing like rushing the passer. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing like getting ahead on the team and, you know, they know they have to throw, you know, they have to throw their offensive tackles know that, you know, they have to throw. And so you can just pin yours back and get after it.
0: Yeah. And, and guys who've heard me, who listen to this podcast regularly have heard me kind of, kind of liken it to this, that, stopping the run is it's like eating your vegetables and passing and and rushing the passers like like your dessert you can't have your dessert before you eat your vegetables and and so you got to make sure your hand on that first but yeah you're right and that was a layup question for you but I but I kind of I counted on you picking that that choice so I could ask you this question what was your favorite pass rush move or your go-to pass rush move
1: you know, I'm a strong believer that you don't really have to have an array of pass rush moves. Uh, you know, really, you just need you need a just kind of a go to move and a counter off that go to, and you've always got to have the bull rush um, in your back pocket. You know, the the I firmly believe, and this is after you know playing for a long time and talking to offensive tackles, you've always got to have them scared of two things: one, that you're going to blow by them, and number two, that, that you can bull rush them. And then other than that, just having a, a standard move and a counter. So I like just a chop, dip and rip. Um, they just kind of always, um, you know, felt natural to me. You know, I would just wait for the offense to tackle to flash his hands and I would chop him down. And then the 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 counter off that was just kind of an inside move where I would sometimes I would kind of fake the chop and then I would rip inside. Um, you know, really that that kind of depends on the protection scheme. You know, obviously you don't want to be coming inside if the if the guard is going to slide towards you in protection or if the quarterback is a mobile guy who can break contain. Um, you know, but really if you I always focus on getting a good get off on the edge um because really I I I firmly believe that it all starts with making that tackle fear that you're gonna blow by them and that you're powerful enough to bull rush if you want to, and then just that basic movement of counter.
0: See, we could have made a whole I talked about this at the beginning. We could have made this whole podcast just about what you're talking about right there and and, oh, I'd love to. Now, do you miss playing football? Oh, yeah. yeah football's a
1: great game. I love it. I mean, that, that season of my life is over, and I'm, I'm definitely at peace with it. But, I mean, yeah, you miss, you miss game day.
0: How do you, I guess, scratch that, that football itch? I mean, I, I, I doubt you're going out on the weekends there in Little Rock and, and playing some pickup games in the park or, or something like that. So, how, how do you kind of uh, scratch that football itch?
1: You know, I, I, do, uh, you know, I still love to work out. Um, you know, I, I, I still love to get up first thing in the morning and, and get in the weight room. Um, you know, it's not really a competitive sport, but you know, it's just a way to stay, stay fit, stay in shape. You know, it's a habit that I have that hopefully is never going to go away. Um, and you know, I do love to play, I play pickup basketball games. Um, you know, just love to, to compete, um, in whatever it is. Um, but you know, I really haven't played any, uh, you know, pick up football games in a long time. Maybe, maybe
0: that'll happen
1: sometime in the future.
0: Well, if if it's not too far of a drive from Little Rock to Texarkana, if you ever want to come down and, and uh, take over the defensive ends, uh we, we'd, uh we, we'd be happy to, to, to hand, hand off the reins to you. I might take you up on that. Yeah. Well, Jake, uh I, I really, I really appreciate you joining us today and and learned a lot from our conversation and have a lot of respect for you and, the, and, and uh want to, uh, so, wish you the best of luck in all your future endeavors uh, in 2021 and beyond. Uh, but once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Ty. It was a pleasure. Man, what an honor to have Jake on today. Our interview uh, actually took place just a day or two after he, he appeared on uh, on Fox News, where he was uh, being interviewed for a segment there. So uh, I know he was had a, had a really busy week that when, and with his nonprofit and everything else he has going on. So. I just really appreciate his willingness to share with us today. So help me in showing our appreciation to him by giving him a follow on Twitter. You can find him at Jake Beckett91. That's at Jake B-E-Q-U-E-T-T-E 91. And by letting him know you heard him here on KYPD. But you know, Jake is just, he's just one of those guys that you would you'd love for your sons to emulate. Not only is he, you know, he's an outstanding athlete, but he's intelligent. He's humble, he, he, he's tough, he, he loves his country, he gives back to others. So just a big shout out to Jake for all of his accomplishments and for the example he is setting for the young men in our country. Our quote of the day comes from Jake and is posted on the wall of the New England Patriots facility, and it goes like this. Leadership is doing what's best for the team when it's not necessarily the best thing for you. And with that, we will close out this episode of KYPD. If you're liking what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review and help us spread the word about our podcast here. Be sure to join us right back here next week where we're back to talking D-line play with a coach from the American Athletic Conference. Until then, make it a great week. Love God, love your neighbor. And of course, always remember, keep your pads down.